Hi, everyone. Welcome to March 26, 2021 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for joining us. As we have done uh, far too often on this roundtable, we start tonight with an update on the horrific shooting in Boulder on Monday. The shooting suspect made his first court appearance Wednesday, where he was charged with 10 counts of first-degree murder. Defense attorneys have asked for time to gauge a suspect's mental state. Uh, with uh, Patty out of town, we greet our friend Eric Sonderman, a columnist with the Denver Gazette and Colorado Politics at the table. It's great to see you here, Eric, in person. Um, Colorado's had far too many opportunities to deal with something like this. Uh, what did you take from the community's reaction uh, this time around, sadly? Sadly, indeed. It's horrific, as you stated in your question, Dominic. Um, we've been to this dance too many times in Colorado. One wonders what there is in the water, in the air, in the climate, whatever. I think it's probably more happenstance and not you know, necessarily that there's a specific causation of why this keeps happening in Colorado. Uh, the community outpouring is what you would expect. Our hearts go out to everyone who is affected, all the families of those lost. Uh, and all of those traumatized by this incident. You should not go to your neighborhood grocery store expecting it to be a killing fields, but that's what it was at the King Supers in Boulder on Monday. Uh, you know, just uh, two quick thoughts. We still don't know. It's four days later, and obviously we're going to learn much more. We don't know what the motive was. Um, I anticipate that it would not be at all unlikely that we find out this was just sort of a psychotic breakdown, that this was not a hate crime per se, that it was just somebody who who flipped, who uh, flipped out, and that there's at least as much chance he ends up in a mental institution as perhaps in a, in a jail cell. Secondly, you know, it's just uh, if there's anything distressing about all of this beyond the incidents themselves, it's the speed with which so many people run to a specific corner in the immediate aftermath, even before facts are known, whether it's the gun control corner, the anti-gun control corner, the hate crime corner, the white supremacy corner. It seems like we all have our narratives and we have to take events and fit them into that narrative even before... We've mourned, and even before the facts are known. Mm -hmm. uh, so joining us, a regular panelist, David Kopel, uh from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, David, Boulder's your uh, community. It's where yeah. you live. Um, we have friends in, uh, that also live there. Um, how is your community reacting? Uh, what do you take away from what we know so far? Well, I think one of the, the good things has been how much the media has provided compassionate coverage of the, the good people who were the victims there. And, for example, the, the workers at, the, at that South Boulder King Supers, the Caldera family, uh, shops there all the time, uh, in, including actually on, on that day earlier in the morning. And the workers there have always been very kind to John's son, Chance, who has Down syndrome. And one of those kind workers was Terry Liker, who herself had uh, developmental, developmental disabilities and was, was living a full life, including as a uh, Special Olympics athlete. Uh, mass murder is lashing out at innocent people, and it provokes a vicious cycle of more lashing out, not in criminal ways necessarily, but in, in still in, in destructive ways. So, for example, as Eric mentioned, the people who had all these, these racist n narratives that, that then fell apart because even though the killer was white, he's Syrian, and so that doesn't count as white or whatever, as, as if that mattered at all. 
you know, after two Pakistani immigrants uh, murdered people in San Bernardino, California, then candidate Donald Trump came in uh, with his ban on all Muslims. Uh, and there's a similar Trumpian impulse on the political left to lash out at law-abiding gun owners and people who support their rights. And that includes the people, at, the students at Fairview High School who bullied John's daughter uh, because of her father's support on gun rights, of gun rights. Good. One of our remote guests, Marianne Goodland, chief legislative reporter at Colorado Politics. It's great to have you back, Marianne. Um, while there's going to be plenty of time, as there always is, to talk about any sort of policy impacts with all the different connections you have at the Capitol, uh, what was your sense of the reaction there and among other people in your community? Um, the, it took less than 24 hours for Democrats at the state legislature and in Washington to start talking about gun control measures. And what surfaced first was an idea, and this is being floated by the majority leader of the Senate, who is a who, whose district includes that South Boulder King Supers, uh, to lift the state exemption that would allow cities to enact stricter gun control laws in the state. And one of the counter arguments has been that local jurisdictions could just as well have gun laws that are less restrictive. But uh, a more interesting um, idea that really hasn't been uh, brought up a lot this week was an idea that was floated before the session even started about a mandatory waiting period um, and of maybe perhaps five days, although that's a lot shorter than most states uh, that have these waiting periods. What's missing so far from Democrats, at least, despite their interest in mental health legislation of all kinds, they're not talking about the shooter's alleged mental health status and what could be done on that issue. Elena Alvarez also joins us remotely, a reporter with Axios Denver. Elena, it's great to have you back. Uh, with all the different work you do with Axios Denver and its newsletter, you've been able to see reactions uh, throughout the Colorado community. Uh, what stood out to you in the, just these first few days after the uh, brutal attack? You know, first and foremost, my heart goes out to the family and friends of the 10 victims that we lost in the Boulder shooting. Um, I think what stands out is the fact that, as has been mentioned, Coloradans are so accustomed to mass shootings, which is tragic. But something about this shooting felt different. Um, maybe it's the fact, which is something this, that we've written in our, our Axios newsletter this morning, you know, maybe it's the fact that we're emotionally weary from the pandemic. Um, maybe it's because grocery shopping remained one of our few uh, essential routines that we had left this year. Um, maybe it's the fact that this is a different venue for violence and we simply weren't prepared. Um, but whatever the case, all Coloradans, including myself, are wrestling with the fear right now of, of going about our daily lives. And it's just tragic and, and needless. And this has shaken up our entire state and, and the rest of the country. That's well put, Elena. Let's move on to uh, there's nothing more important this kind of effect with the uh, community, but we have to talk about uh, other topics. So as we get to that. After a steady decline in coronavirus cases, the Colorado Health Department updated the COVID-19 response dial to allow for the loosening of some coronavirus restrictions. Restaurant industry experts critical of the move say that opening to 100% capacity doesn't mean much with the six-foot separation rule still in place. David, we start with you on this one. Um, 
that was, I think, an important point made by uh, some restaurateurs this week, saying 100% capacity is fine, but if I'm still six feet apart, my building can't really necessarily do more business. Does that need to be looked at just as much as anything else? Uh, maybe, especially since the Centers for Disease Control has said three feet now is, is okay. Um, but, you know, there is no dial. It's a crazy word that we keep on using. The dial is just a pseudoscientific word for what's always been just a bunch of, of pretty arbitrary uh, guesstimates. If there were a real dial, it would be defective because it only considers one kind of public health danger. Anytime you reduce risks in one way, you need to be conscious about whether you might be accidentally reduce, increasing risks in other ways. Unemployment causes massive health problems and lots of other secondary problems. Social isolation causes mental health problems, which also cause lots of secondary harms, including the big increases in drug overdoses and suicides we've seen this year. So the virus is going to be around for for years, and we can't stay in semi-lockdown all that time. Because in semi-lockdown, things aren't bad for people in the information economy uh, who, who can work at home readily, but they're terrible for people who, who have to stay at home because their jobs don't exist anymore. Marianne, from what you could see at the state capitol, do you think there's going to be more policy answers from lawmakers in response to the various changes we've seen from officials when it comes to restrictions like this? Not really. I think most of the policy responses so far have been about providing financial assistance through various different stimulus packages. Um, We have another one, a $700 million one that the governor announced about a week or so ago that is intended to help restaurants and bars kind of get through the next the next couple of months and then we also have the 1.9 trillion dollar stimulus that's coming out of washington that i believe also has some assistance um for for uh, restaurants and bars and and entertainment venues and all kinds of things you know the, the thing with the restaurants is that right now they're now on the same footing as any other indoor gathering so I don't think this six-foot distancing thing is going to be something that that lawmakers have any appetite for going after. Elena, what do you think? I know uh, folks in general, I think it makes sense, would be antsy to get back to whatever they consider a a new level of what they can do. But uh, people still want to do it safely. And how governments are approaching this, it, it seems that the... Uh, the whole ideas behind it change on a regular basis, which only adds to the confusion, the frustration. Uh, what have you seen with your different reports? No, you're absolutely right. I think confusion is the key word here. Even as a reporter digging into the details, it's been hard to follow. Um, you know, Dominic, I think the trend to watch right now is going to be the 28 counties at level green. So for those counties, there are no restrictions from restaurants in terms of capacity or spacing. Um, and those counties can ask the state to lift their mask requirements. So my colleague, John Frank, tells me that means essentially 44% of the state could go maskless if the state public health department and local rules allow it. Um, why this matters is because Colorado is one of 19 states where coronavirus infections are on the rise. Um, so knowing that risk, knowing that there are variants about, it's no wonder why you know many local health leaders right now are, are wanting to see the state wide mask order stay in place. 
Eric, you're in a unique situation. We're grateful to be able to have you here in person, but sometimes, most of the time, we have you remotely from uh, near Tabernash. So you've seen the effect in the mountain communities, those counties, how they're responding, how it's happening here in Denver, and probably trying to keep up with that on almost a daily basis. How do you handle it, and how do you think the state is doing? Well, sometimes there's information overload. Uh, I identify partly with you know what some of what David said and a lot of what Elena said. Dials are complicated. I've been critical that sometimes this dial changes too often, that we, we're drowning in complexity. And yes, a lot of us specialize in information, but it, it, it gets to be a bit much. To David's point, yes, there's an arbitrariness to this, but you know this is part of a public health response we are in an unprecedented public health emergency maybe you can point to precedent a hundred years ago or whatever but in terms of most of our lifetimes it is unprecedented the real key here as elena pointed out is to get more of the state or all of the state into a green category where most of us can go about our lives vaccinated when that you know uh, uh, some of us have been fortunate to get there others will get there soon um, that we can go about our lives. Spent uh, some time yesterday evening with two close friends of ours who are both psychologists, watchers of the show. Hello, Greg and Sandy. And, uh, you know, they have a term that I guess is now in the psychological community about re-entry anxiety. People who have been under one set of rules for a year and now have anxiety about getting back out into the world. I think there's a flip side of that, which I've sort of coined re-entry impatience, which is people who are just so desperate to go back to some degree of normality. And neither one of those is healthy, and we're all dealing with this in our own ways of what we are personally comfortable with. But the key is that the virus still sets its own terms. It doesn't care about politics. It doesn't care about our impatience or our anxiety. And you've got to get the virus under control. Last week, Democratic state lawmakers introduced a new health care bill that aims to lower the cost of health care for citizens by providing a public option in Colorado for individuals and small groups. The Common Sense Institute, a business industry-focused think tank, released a study critical of the bill this week. Marianne, we start with you on this one with uh, your connections and work at the Capitol. Uh, is this bound to dominate headlines uh, moving forward in the legislative session? Absolutely. I think this this and perhaps gun control bills may take over. But right now, this is the biggest bill that lawmakers are going to be wrestling with in the coming weeks. It was supposed to be in a committee hearing this morning, even as, as we're taping on Friday. But it has been pushed back now for more negotiations between the sponsors and the health insurance industry, uh, the hospital association and big pharma. The big sticking points on this bill right now is that the introduced version added the small group market to um, what's going to happen over the next two years, which is requiring a 20% reduction in health insurance premiums. And this will apply to the individual market, which is for people who buy their own insurance, and the small group market, which is employers with 50 or fewer. The other thing that has the opponents really... Uh, perturbed is uh, a benefit mandate. Initially, you had a base, and that was going to be the base from which you cut that 20%. But the introduced bill now allows the legislature to continue to add benefit mandates, and that changes the base, but you still have to reduce by 20%. So um, the insurance companies and, and some of the other opponents are telling me this bill is set up for them to fail. 
Elena, uh, in 14 months ago, uh, an issue like this at a state legislature would have led uh, this broadcast. It would have led, had dominated all the headlines. Right now, it's down to tier three or four, at least topic three for us. Uh, what are you sensing from the reports you've seen so far in what's bound to be a long debate on this issue? You are absolutely right. The news cycle is insane. Um, but, I mean, there's no question that the battle lines are drawn bill, and that's just not going to change. Both sides are spending a lot of money. Um, you have critics like the Common Sense Institute, um, the Partnership for America's Healthcare Future, who are lobbying hard with studies and advertising. Um, what's kind of interesting, I think, is that you know supporters of the bill began to push back this week. We have um, Healthier Colorado running um, advertisements, TV ads this week that feature a doctor and a small business owner. Um, you know, the big picture from what I've heard uh, from supporters is that the bill will pass. Um, it's, but, you know, the question, I think, is, is how much they're going to negotiate with a Democratic-controlled legislature. So we'll see. We'll see how this, this shapes out. Eric, I'm reminded of Yogi Berra a little bit because healthcare is like the weather. Everyone complains about it, but no one does anything about it. Um, is this something that you think in Colorado has a chance with, again, Democrats holding the levers of power across the board? Yes, it does have a chance. Uh, I approach this with a substantial degree of skepticism, but it is a sign of how left and how blue Colorado, and particularly Colorado government, has become, that this is front and center at the legislature with a significant possibility, even likelihood, that it might pass. This is only four years after, I guess five years after, a 2016 election on what was then known as Amendment 69, which was a public health care system that went down in flames. It went down 80 to 20. For a four-to-one margin of Colorado voters said, thank you, no thank you. But yet, Kerry Donovan in the Senate, Dylan Roberts, other sponsors in, in the House are back with this. I think, as Marianne pointed out, this bill is set up. It is not a good-faith effort, in my mind, to force the private uh, market to work better. It is an attempt to have the private market fail with markers that are too high to meet so that then the public option three, four, five years down the road takes its place. It is an end run it, uh, to get to uh, a public market, uh, to a single payer system. You can have that argument, but let's have it up front. And the other question is whether this can really be done at a state level or this is something that has to be federalized if you're going to go that direction. David, your thoughts on the critiques we've heard so far from the Common Sense Institute and the pushback on those critiques? Once upon a time, health care was affordable. People went to the doctor, they wrote the doctor a check, and that, was, that took care of it, and they used insurance for extraordinary expenses. Then we got the insurance companies involved in everything so for even routine care. Of course, that drives up costs because then you got a third party that's pushing all the paperwork back and forth instead of just doctor to patient. Then on top of that, we get Obamacare, a huge, gigantic new bureaucracy that has the effect of driving up costs and uh, giving an oligopoly uh, to the largest insurance companies. And now we say, oh, the solution to, to th previous rounds of too many third parties, too much bureaucracy, is we're going to put another layer of bureaucracy on it, ultimately somebody in the Colorado state government who's going to decide what kind of health care people are going to be allowed to have or, or not. If they tried it in Washington state, costs went up 29 percent. 
It's another example of Colorado bringing in a failed program for the West Coast and jamming it down on the people of Colorado against their wishes. Let's get a quick take on this last one. After receiving pushback from county officials across the state, sponsors have amended a bill that would have barred county commissioners from serving on public health boards. The measure that was passed in a House committee will instead require anyone in county health boards to complete an annual training program. Elena, your quick take on this one is, this, do we expect this kind of pushback on this issue? Honestly, Dominic, for me, the real question here is what, if anything, lawmakers are going to do to address the increasing number of professionals leaving public health positions as they grow more politicized? What will they do to protect these workers? And so I know there are bills moving through the legislature that hope to do this, but it's still not clear whether they'll go far enough. Uh, Eric, public health boards did not get much press before 2020, and now they're top of, uh, top of the news cycle. Uh, what do you think of this proposal as it's moved forward? Well said on Elena's part. Uh, this started as a very substantive piece of legislation. Uh, I think rural Colorado finally reared its head and said it doesn't work out here. Uh, the rules are different. Our needs are different. It has now completely been watered down. It is milk toast. It's insignificant. It requires everyone on a public health board to go through an annualized training program, whatever. Uh, it, David, it almost feels like this, this, they've watered it down to the point of we, we hope everybody on county health boards for now on will floss regularly, but I'm not sure if it's even that stringent. What do you think? I, I encourage regular flossing. <laughs> um, the central conflict is people on the health bureaucracy say we want to be free from politics, which means we want to be able to impose orders on people to lock them down, control their lives, but we don't want any political accountability. We don't want a government where the government is elected by the people and the people who are giving us orders, like Governor Polis, at least were, were chosen by the people. They want all the power, none of the democratic accountability. The bill as it is is fine for encouraging people to, to get uh, health education, but I'd say taking this annual class from the Colorado Department of Public Health and the Environment, uh, based on what we've seen from them in the last several years, I would say that the scientific information they present is likely going to have a very strong political filter. Marianne, you covered this issue at the Capitol this week. What do we need to know? Uh, first of all, the bill that came out of committee this week is basically meaningless. Um, there are no consequences if a board of health slash county commissioner uh, wants to just say, no, I'm not going to take the training. It, it, it has no teeth, no consequences. And Custer County is the poster child for this particular bill. Um, they have had a situation going on for the last couple of months with their county commissioners acting as the board of public health. And they decided a couple of weeks ago that they were going to just ignore their public health mandates. Uh, they did that with the um, authority from their public health director who said that he had permission from the state to do that. That turned out not to be true. They doubled down on ignoring these mandates at a March 10th meeting at their county courthouse that had about 35 people in attendance. Almost nobody at that meeting were wearing masks. Last week, they reported a COVID outbreak, and as of yesterday, two of the three commissioners now have COVID. A staff member who also contracted COVID um, allegedly at that meeting is now in the hospital. And this is all um, according to the Wet Mountain Tribune, which has done really stellar work on this. 
Um, the sponsors of this bill bowed to a lot of pressure from county commissioners. This bill had the more upset than anything that's come up this session. Irony is certainly not dead. Well, let's get to our very favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. Usually Miss Calhoun starts us off. Eric, you have the honors this week. I'll take those honors. Some group called the Republican Liberty Caucus, which is affiliated with the Colorado Republican Party, less than 24 hours after the events in Boulder, put out a statement via Facebook alleging that these mass shootings are, quote-unquote, part of a communist plot for gun control. Uh, further, quote, the timing of these things is suspicious at best. Boy, talk about running to your corners. Talk about complete over-the-top rhetoric so bad that even the National Organization of uh, Liber the National Republican Liberty Caucus disavowed them. And there's more to that story about, you know, which former person had access to a Facebook. It, it's a deep story. It's a good point. David. Uh, Senator Kerry Donovan uh, has moderated her bill to create a state censorship committee in order to uh, to pass it out of a uh, 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 a state center committee. And now instead of having a state censorship commission, we're just going to have a study group to think about a state censorship commission. But the fact is, Kerry Donovan has already positioned herself in her upcoming race against Lauren Boebert. For those voters in the district who say, yeah, Boebert talks a lot, but has she introduced anything that's truly far out extreme and crazy? I want somebody who can do that. Kerry Donovan's got their vote. Miriam, we go to you for your disgrace of the week. I got to go back to Custer County on this one to their board of, of, of county commissioners slash public health who found out this week that ignoring public health mandates does, in fact, have consequences. Elena, you're up for disgrace of the week. The fact that our nation had to grapple with two mass shootings in less than one week is disgraceful. And every American deserves to feel safe in their grocery stores, in their workplaces, in their schools. This is needless. Time to say something nice about somebody. Eric? I'm going to take this as a proud father moment. Uh, our son Clark is today releasing another musical uh, album. He's a musician of some note. It's an album called Visiting the Well, which is his diary, basically. He lost his partner after a long relationship a couple of years ago to, to cancer. And it is his journey through grief, and it is quite a profound album. Here, here. David? A member of the Denver Public School Board uh, tells young people that all cops are bad, except he uses much more vicious language than, than I said on the air. But if you looked up Officer Eric Talley uh, a week ago, the first story you would have found about him was about how he rescued seven uh, ducklings who were, were lost. And this week he gave his life to protect other people. There are a lot of law enforcement officers who, like Officer Talley, are very compassionate and courageous. Marianne, your turn to say something nice. Uh, kudos to King Supers for putting a million dollars into the fund for the victims of Monday's shooting. I would encourage them to take the next step and restore hazard pay for all of your employees who have been working under dangerous situations for this past year. Elena, we go to you for your say something nice. Yeah, I just wanted to commend all of the Colorado journalists out here who are working tirelessly to tell victims' stories and keep our community informed. It's not an easy job, and they've produced amazing work in the process. 
Before we go, I want to say something nice by our number one fan, Tim Jackson, at the Colorado Automobile Dealers Association. He sent uh, the CIO crew and all of our staff here at PBS 12 a great big box of Lamar's Donuts. Uh, we're grateful for you watching, Tim. Uh, always our number one fan, and thank you so much for the donuts. You know the best way to a crew's heart is through their stomach, so thank you for that. Uh, for everybody here at PBS 12 in Colorado Inside Out, thank you so much for watching. Good night. Thank you.